two years ago, I think it's almost like two years ago to the day, um, I did a little thing with Professor Green, uh, Stephen Manderson, and that we became friends as a result of that. The most unlikely friendship going, like me and my cardigans and him not so much a cardigan wearer. Um, but uh, like, I've attended some of his gigs now and gone backstage and they're all really cool people. And there's me going, no, oh, don't mind if I do have a gin and tonic with my cardigan. Hello and welcome to the Myself Included podcast. The show about covering taboo topics many of us wish were not taboo, myself included. I'm your host, Tiffany Trethowen, and I have a few things in common with today's guest. One special thing that will shortly be revealed. You may recognise him from the likes of Find It, Fix It, Flog It and Dragon's Den. His name is Max McMurdo. He is a British designer, upcycler, entrepreneur, TV presenter and human being. I say human being because today we'll be talking about men's mental health and perhaps the difficulty maintaining a healthy relationship with your mental health when being in the public eye. Having said that, we had such a great chat, we ended up speaking about a whole array of things from living in his houseboat, his charity work in Kenya, to, to his friendship with Professor Green. Grab a coffee, this one's going to be juicy. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Max on the show. Here we go. For the listeners who may not know you, you are a British designer, upcycler, um, an entrepreneur, TV presenter and human being. <laughs> I say human being because we'll be talking about men's mental health today and perhaps the difficulty maintaining a healthy relationship with your mental health when you're in the public eye. Um, and listeners may recognise you from Find It, Fix It, Flog It and Dragon's Den, you know, the likes of those those programmes. So before your career took off, what was your outlook and experience with mental health? Um, I probably, to be honest, didn't really know what it meant. I thought it was one of those hocus pocus psychology things that guys don't really need because we just go for a beer down the pub. That's because I'm old. <laughs> I'm 42. So like, yeah, 20 years ago when I started out my career, that wouldn't have been on my radar at all. If I was a bit down, I'd have to cheer myself up. It was kind of, I'm from a background where it was a bit stiff upper lip, get on with it, boy, type upbringing. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's bad to say, but also a Scottish upbringing, which I think is a bit more perhaps robust, <laughs> shall we say. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. and you do, you just get on with things. And, and it's only really probably the last five years, maybe 10 at a pinch that, I've heard the terminology and I've kind of accepted that you should and can talk about how you're feeling to other people, including man to man. And you don't need to do it over lager. You can just do it because you want to like call a mate up and see how they are. So, so yeah, in terms of mental health, it's only recently I've become made aware of it, but also it's become more applicable to me because of my career, I think. Yeah, that leads me quite nicely on to, do you think there's a different set of pressures and challenges as a man? Or even, as you said then, it must be quite hard if you're not like a pub goer, just being a different sort of group as a man, how to kind of cope with it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I hear female friends of mine say, oh, the girls are going to meet up, we're just having a chat, and we're, they talk about their highs and their lows where I think with guys it's typically been all about, wee, lads, all right, yeah, I'm doing great, how are you? And a a sort of, yeah, just bravado as opposed to going, how are you really? Like, are you sad? Are you struggling? Are you okay? Um, And then the funny thing I think for me is that my my business is kind of one minute is fabricating in a workshop and with tradespeople and it is a bit more laddie culture. But then the next minute doing television and media is a lot more gentle. And the people I'm surrounded Mm. with in that environment are vastly different. So, for example, 
if you're filming, the team, well, outside of COVID, would hug and and be more physical and emotionally close. Whereas in a workshop, you wouldn't hug the welder and the carpenter and the electrician. So that's been quite quite interesting for me to and I've typically pulled all of those different people together into the same environment and I'm the common factor. So that that's always an interesting one for me as well is how the the industry I've become part of is very different in terms of how men treat each other and approach mental health. Yeah, because we probably, you know, wear a different mask and behave differently around our grandparents in an interview to our friends. But with, like you say, the work you do, you probably have a number of masks and number of behaviours depending on what you're working on. Yeah, I, do you know what? And I, yeah. used to, I used to not like that about myself. I used to think I was being fake because mm-hmm. I would be a bit more laddie around the guys in the workshop rather than I would be around, say, my agent or a marketing agency or something. But actually, I think... I've learned that that's okay to have a slightly different version of yourself. You're still you and you're still honest and you have the same core values, but you kind of mirror who you're talking to, which I don't think now is such a bad thing. Yeah, because we've all naturally behave very different. Yeah, so having a glass of wine with friends than in an interview sort of thing, hopefully. So yeah, no, I agree. Um, we're currently going through a pandemic, one that alarmed the world, in particular with the death toll, and yet the biggest killer in men aged under 45 in the UK is suicide. Do you think we need to wake up and realise you've only scratched the surface on this? Yeah, again, this is not something I was that familiar with and would have even felt comfortable mm-hmm. talking about probably. But two yeah. years ago, I think it's almost like two years ago to the day, um, I did a little thing with Professor Green, uh, Stephen Manderson, and that we became friends as a result of that. The most unlikely friendship going, like me in my cardigans and him not so much a cardigan wearer. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, I've attended some of his gigs now and gone backstage and they're all really cool people. And there's me going, oh, don't mind if I do have a gin and tonic with my cardigan. But anyway, um, so basically he posted two years ago about um, homeless people, rough sleepers, and the fact that Bournemouth Council had put bars on benches. I stated to Stephen that I'd gone to Bournemouth University and I was embarrassed by the way they were treating their rough sleepers because I helped feed rough sleepers in Bedford. So we arranged Mm -hmm. to meet up the following day. We went down to Bournemouth. We removed the bars off the benches. The police came along and were very shouty. But we did it full of respect and we didn't damage anything and we put it all back to how it was. And as a result of that, we've become friends and we discuss uh, mental health, but in particular suicide within, you know, within men. And that's really opened my eyes. And now when I listen to a lot of his songs, they're, they're very poignant and they do discuss a lot of these topics. And I think there's a bit more pressure on men um, generally speaking, these days. Um, and I think times have definitely changed over the last 20 years and we're having to readjust. You know, 20 years ago, mobile phones didn't exist. Social media didn't exist. So we're a lot more vulnerable. I feel a lot more vulnerable now and I have to be super careful of what I say and what I think. And I have to educate myself, you know, over the last six months with the Black Lives Matter, Me Too movement. There's, mm-hmm. We're constantly being educated. A 40-year-old man is a bit like a dinosaur, you know? Young people <laughs> have grown up knowing this, this way of life. Whereas I, I yeah. used to have to go knock for my mates if I wanted to speak to them, not go on some internet thing on my phone. So 
so we are we are the dinosaurs and we're having to learn and adjust and and get with the times whether it is the me too movement or black lives matter and i think we all are and um mm-hmm. that's up to us to want to to want to develop and to want to still fit in and understand and not feel like we're being inappropriate even i mean my father he's passed away now several years but if he was around today he would have moments of acting inappropriately not because he's a bad person but because Mm -hmm. the time when he grew up things were different terminology was different our understanding of each other and our and our inner workings were different so we've got to make sure i think it's our responsibility to make sure we keep up with those things yeah, and no, I do stand-up comedy on the side, and you have to be so careful now. I remember when I met um, Emily Coxhead, who's the happy uh, the Happy Newspaper founder, and I remember speaking to her about social media, and she said, no matter what you do or say, somebody have something to say about it. So if you're eating a burger, vegetarians are going to say something. If you, yeah. you know, perhaps the colour pink, people that like pink are going to say something about it. Um, and I always remember that. And when you touched on Fessa Green, that's, that's one of the questions. But um, he did like a, yeah, I guess a movement on Instagram a few years ago saying, hashtag, I wish I took more pictures. Yeah. And I did that with a picture of my dad, and he only picks a selective amount. And he chose one with me and my dad. So that was quite cool that he could bring everyone together about, yeah, you don't always have, because I lost my dad as well when I was 14. So there's not a huge amount of pictures I have with, well, I only have one with him, um, just that one. So for him to kind of bring everyone together, even if it's virtually, was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's such an intelligent, thoughtful, beautiful person. It's incredible, actually. Um, and yet his, his appearance to somebody who doesn't know him would be always oh, a bit scary. He's got tattoos on his neck and he's a rapper. But uh, I think that's a really good example of not judging a book by its cover. You know, um, he's very profound and very thoughtful. And it's sometimes it's just an honor to be in his presence and listen to his words because that's yeah, he doesn't just. Yeah, his lyrics are very, very poignant. Mm. And funnily enough, I've since not become a fan, but I now listen to his albums and think, oh, wow, it's not just the the key songs we're familiar with because of the radio. There's a lot of really, really thoughtful stuff in his back catalogue. Yeah, now he was one of the, yeah, when I wasn't in the, the, you know, the best place mentally, he was one of the main advocates at the time that really helped. He's done a few, like you say, programmes, podcasts. Um, so he was definitely someone to look up to, for sure. Um, so you've sort of touched on, yeah, your sort of what you used to think mental health and what it is today. And I do think it's like a daily practice. Um, do, yeah, do you think your mental health has been quite consistent or do you think it's been, you know, tested at times? I guess it has with your career. Yeah, no, it's awful. My mental health is, is terrible. Um, and so I didn't mean to go into my career. That's the funny thing about what I do. And actually quite mm-hmm. a few people I know, particularly artisans in television, never set out we didn't go to drama school or acting school or any of those things so all we wanted to do was go into a workshop and design and make things then somebody came along and said oh can i film you doing that and i went yeah i suppose um and then you kind it's just expected that you can then present that you don't mind having mm-hmm. more followers on social media you don't mind standing on stage at the idle home show in front of hundreds of people and I remember once I am, um, I, um, I mean, we'll probably talk about this later, but I, I have also been divorced, not because of my career, but that was a really tough time. And I remember mm-hmm. once coming home to my ex-wife and I'd been at the Idol Home Show. And it's a beautifully grounding moment. I was at the Idol Home Show on stage, hundreds of people. I just had a series out. So I was feeling quite a buzz. And I understand like 
my fame is minuscule compared to like the lead singer of a, a rock band that's toured the world. But in, in my own little way as a little boy from Bedfordshire, I stood on stage at the Ideal Home Show, hundreds of people. I did a book signing afterwards. There were queues of people and I was signing books and chatting and they were having to be held back a little bit. And it was exhilarating, to be honest. Yeah. And then I drove myself home. And people imagine you've got like an entourage and you get limos and you don't. Again, we'll probably touch on that. And I got home and my wife said, um, she went, oh, you forgot to put the dishwasher on then. And and it was just a beautiful... (laughs) crashing fall from great of the reality of you still got to do the basic stuff and it's still expected that you operate like a good thoughtful human being and just because you're one minute signing a book doesn't mean you don't have to put the dishwasher tablet in and press the start button like so there have been a few moments like that and I one of my favorite things I've realized quite recently actually is that my life is very very diverse the fact that I can be doing quite a highbrow piece to camera about design one minute but then sweeping the floor the next and the sawdust and stuff is still my responsibility or I'm on the floor doing something under a car. And I've realized that's actually something that makes me tick. I'm, I'm pleased about that diversity. And that's one of the most enjoyable things about my career. But like I touched on earlier, we've received no training for that. Nobody warned me and said, oh, if we point this camera at you, your life will change. People will treat you differently your your old next door neighbors will talk about you or people will murmur and start rumors about you and think they know you and make judgment upon you and in fact i was in wix the other day the hardware store and i the same wix i've always gone to and they'd stacked the wood badly basically they put the big heavy wood at the wrong place and anyway i was struggling to get the timber down and at the checkout i just said to the guy i went oh by the way mate i think you put the 18 mil where the nine mil goes and if you put it the other way it's easier to manhandle and no one's going to hurt themselves I got home and found I'd received a, like a message on Facebook from a woman going, you've changed, you're being all demanding, you're expecting them to like restock. And I went, no, 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 I, I, you can't say I've got less of a voice now just because my career means I'm sort of in the public eye a bit. doesn't mean I, I have less of a, an opinion or less of an ability to actually try and give the guy some good feedback. I'd have always have done that. And I, I, so it's almost like, you have to be more careful. You have weirdly less of a voice the mm-hmm. bigger your profile, which is quite surreal, isn't it? You can have more of an impact with your voice, I guess, but you've got to word it so carefully and just be really, yeah, be really aware that you do have a bit of a, there's a lot of judgment going on. Yeah, they say the more authentic and vulnerable you are, the more backlash you're going to get. It's just whether you can take that on and, and make an impact. And it's funny because I'm not even in the public eye and I get so defensive. I think because I guess, yeah, I'm quite in tune with, yeah, just like who I am and, and mental health and whatnot. And when people kind of say, for example, oh, Sam Smith, people like him, he, he chose the fame. It's like, well, actually, we go to a corporate world, we get offered a manager role, we go for it, that's our promotion. If you've got a good voice, you get offered a record label, you want people to sing your lyrics back and you take that offer. You don't, and you kind of, you're somewhat aware of the fame and everyone, you know, bangs on about that. But like you said, they've got no understanding of how much of their voice is gone. Just the privacy to walk to the shop and get some milk, they lose everything. And I think people forget that they're a human being, like, you know, it, it just really, it really gets to me. It really, really gets to me that. <laughs> it's, it's a very dangerous thing as well, because you do, you lose your privacy, 
like my mum was on the last series I did. And now when she walks into town, people stop her in the street. And it's a good level for me. I'm at a very happy place where a lot of the, the shows I do are watched by people who admire my work. So if I get stopped and spoken to, generally it's to say, oh, I loved that design you did. It, it's not really about me. It's more about the products I'm creating. So I, I'm quite happy with that. But I am constantly slightly nervous about what if I did my own series for Channel 4. That changed mm. everything. That, that's, the ability to go to a supermarket and just pop in and out disappears. The ability to yeah. get drink a little bit too much at a party and make a little mistake like we've all done, you're removing all of those options. And you can see why people like Ed Sheeran buy massive grounds and build your own pub because mm-hmm. you're nervous about going out and, and making a, a, a fool of yourself. So, so yeah, it does, it does change everything. And like I said, it's not always a deliberate thing. I just want to make things. I enjoy actually the fact that I can influence younger people, particularly I always think about when I'm looking at the lens, because again, looking at a camera is a strange thing in itself, like a big reflective thing pointed right in your face. I never signed up to that really. Um, mm-hmm. But when you are doing it, I, I imagine a 15-year-old version of me at school, not quite sure where I want to go, what I want to do, feeling a bit disillusioned and confused. And I think if I can speak to that 15-year-old version of me and say, it's okay, you don't have to be an academic, you can just do something good with your hands, you can be a creative, that is a career path, not a very lucrative career path, mind. And I don't mind telling people that, that it's very hard to make money in our industry. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I imagine is, can I inspire the 15 year old me? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And like you said, I don't think you're quite grass sometimes you're talking about the camera and whatnot, what everything takes. Like yeah, if I think about comedy, people think if they make themselves, their friends and family laugh, it's really easy. They yeah. don't get the writing, the setup. Yeah. Being worried what you say, the timing, delivery, all of that. And, and the same in podcasting, you know, you've got the camera, you've got the organization of guests, like, People often are very positive about all the things I do, and I, and I love that. And they can see things are pretty full on, which they are. But those these sorts of things aren't just like you say a camera. There's so much involved into to doing the creative. I guess it's a creative industry. It's it's that sort yeah. of level, isn't it? And the, I think for me as well, the lack of input I I really have. They they film all day to get two minutes worth of television, and that's not selected yeah. by me. That is, I give them as much as I can and I deliver nice little bits, I think, and I try and give a bit of take home for the viewer and I make it as lighthearted as I can in the moment. Um, But Mm. I'm not in the edit. I don't sit there and decide what story we're telling. So that's often out of my control. And often when I watch a show, that's the first time I've seen it. If I've done the voiceover, perhaps seen elements of it, but, but you can twist any story and... It's sometimes surprising which elements they pick up on and go with. But I think a lot of the viewers imagine that I'm a lot more in the edit than I actually am. But actually, once that footage has been filmed of me, I'm completely out of control. Um, So you have to have a lot of trust in the edit as well and assume that they're doing you justice because you could be very easily, they could manipulate the footage to tell a completely different story. And so you've got to have a lot of trust and faith. And that comes over time. And I think I've done it enough now to 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 be comfortable with that but when people say to me what is my thing you know what am i good at that that stands me apart from the crowd i think it probably is designing things for television now so a lot of creatives mm. really struggle with tv because it's quite rushed it's sometimes you have to compromise on what you're making you can't spend hours fettling and finessing and 
faffing around with your products like you would in the workshop in your own time. You've got a team around you and you've got to bosh things out. But making a few little compromises along the way, but ultimately my design brief is create something that the viewer at home will feel inspired by. It's not create yeah. something that's 100% perfect that a recipient will get in the post and be absolutely smitten with the finish. So it's actually difficult. You've got to learn to let go a bit and make something that's suitable for your new client. And my client isn't an end user. It's an end viewer through the lens of a camera. Does that make sense? It's so that's taken some getting used to, but I'm not the best woodworker, not the best metal worker, upholsterer. I have to be a bit of a jack of all trades and just accept that and then employ the right skills around me. Yeah, it is interesting, like even when you post, say, just content online, what sometimes you think will resonate or just be funny or anything can sometimes differ. Um, so that is interesting. And like, yeah, if you don't see the final cut and I think reality TV, again, they're this sort of sign up to it and it probably happens a bit more. But, you know, a lot of people that have been on reality TV have said, like you said, you have no idea how they're going to pick the little things and then often say next episode. And it's so different to what actually ends up being the storyline of the next episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that must be that must be quite an unusual prospect, really. Yeah. And I think it's, it's quite funny because if you think about how vulnerable design is as well, to be a designer is basically to put your hand up and say, right, guys, this is my heart and soul. This is something I truly believe is groundbreaking and beautiful and amazing. Here it is give us your feedback so that's mm -hmm. quite a brave thing to have to do anyway but to then combine that with being on national television and on social media you're basically putting yourself out there in the stocks giving everyone a load of rotten fruit and vegetables and saying go for it give us your best shot so it's almost like a double vulnerability if you're a creative person and then you're doing it publicly it's kind of you're really putting yourself out there to dry and you do get negative feedback sometimes and it's very hard not to respond. And it's, it's also very easy for other people to tell you not to respond, but you just go, but I, I, <laughs> so prime example, I did a, one of my favorite builds on the last series. I, a lady lost her husband due to COVID two weeks later. Um, we turned up with a grand piano to, t to make it into a water feature as a, a memorial for her husband. So there's quite a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. actually, because I've got the TV crew going, yeah. come on, get this done. You've got a day to film it. And a real person, and I, me with my heart and soul, wanting to create something suitably beautiful mm -hmm. in memory of her late husband, who only died two weeks ago. So I'm already kind of in the middle, satisfying different clients. Did my best shot, and it turned out really nicely, actually. I was ever so proud. I've kept in touch with the lady. And um, after the show... A woman emailed in saying, Max, I'm usually a fan of your work. I was devastated to see that you've lowered your standards and you chopped up this beautiful piano. Da, 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 da. Now, clearly in the show, we stated it wasn't a full grand piano. The internals had been removed, that we weren't butchering something with history. I even ran my finger over the maker's mark and said, please include that, that I'm appreciating the craftsmanship that's gone into it. In voiceover, we included the fact that the internal components were no longer in it. They'd been taken out by a refurbishment company. So we told this story accurately and this woman had ignored all of that and she still complains that I suggest you read this book on being respectful of craftsmanship. And I thought, you're having such a personal, real dig at me. You've bothered to write this email, but you've not bothered to listen to what we actually said on the show. And I, I really got to me, but you know what? I didn't buy it and it was put, thank you very much for your feedback. Yours truly, Max. Because I thought that is... Yeah. That's, that's all it needs because I know I've done my due diligence. I know the production company did the right thing. 
she's actually let herself down by not getting the correct data and you can't it's not i can't have a battle with everybody over i don't need to justify myself continuously it's, it's hard enough anyway isn't it with family commitments and looking after yourself mm-hmm. and running a business and uh, yeah so you, you've got to pick your battles haven't you and that i realized and that's maybe a bit of maturity a bit of being self-assured that i know i'm quite good at what i do now and i think that yeah. just comes in time and experience and I'm in quite a good place in that respect. I used to get very nervous. Before an order went out, I would always have a panic. Not like a proper meltdown, but just a bit of anxiety that, is it good enough? Should I have done it better? Is this what the customer's expecting? And I'd always be a bit of a nightmare before a big order went out. I'm learning that actually it is okay. I am quite good at what I do. I've been doing it long enough now. Um, When you talk about the whole double whammy of being creative and then being the public eye, yeah, it's amazing how many times I've also not, say, pressed the green light on the podcast or something I've written online. But then you have to remember, yeah, like the end user and the why. So not all your friends and family and Joe Blogs are going to like what you're saying, but Joe Blogs is in your audience. But there will be people out there that want to listen to upcycling or mental health. And that's what you have to keep in mind. But it's very hard to do that because even this episode, this will be episode four, and there's been some episodes that have been intense, but not, say, on a stigmatised subject. And you think, oh, how's it going to be, you know, how are they going to respond? And one, yeah, you've got your audience. And two, I think often people are resonating more than you think. You know, I think we think, oh, everyone's going to have some negative feedback. But I think often, we, we, yeah, again, being human beings, we will have the same sort of problems. And if they have got an issue like that lady, yeah, it's their issue, not yours. Yeah. having a bad day or something like that you know <laughs> and, and i think it's funny isn't it because when you're a child growing up you want to be everyone's best friend you want everyone to like mm-hmm. you and it's only as you grow up and become an adult you realize i'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay um there's yeah. I, I shouldn't name names but there was a, a commissioner at a channel who just didn't like me so she would okay. fight if i was going to be on a show if other people were saying oh max would be great for this role she'd go nope don't like him and that was really hard to hear. Mm. But do you know what? It's something completely out of my control. I've never met the person, so I've not upset them. It's just a clash of personalities. I might, I might remind her of somebody from her past. I might have the same name as somebody from her past. It's completely, yeah. as far as I'm aware, out of my control. And you don't have to be everyone's best friend. As long as you're following your heart and soul and doing what you think is the right thing and treating everyone as you want to be treated then you can't go too wrong i don't think yeah and it's funny because i think sometimes we can sort of think oh i didn't get that many likes on social or i don't have many friends like you say but then we find ourselves being selected with our friends because we realize we're not enjoying their company as much that they don't have the same morals and values and you set your boundaries and you think you know, you're sitting there wanting to be liked by everyone, but at the same time, you're also starting to realise who you want to spend your time with, who's actually making you happy and bringing out the best in you, even in a relationship, whether it be romantic or friends, work colleagues, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it is funny how we, we long for... I think it's because we always long for approval of the parents, the head teacher, you know, the top level, and actually we should just become comfortable with ourselves and, yeah, who we want to surround ourselves with, really. Yeah, which I think when you're younger, you hear older people talking about that and go, yeah, whatever. But as you get older, <laughs> you may be... I think my my contentness at the moment, I think, is partly due to the fact I am a little bit older, I am a little bit calmer. I've seen friends around me, unfortunately, lose their lives or become ill and how stress has impacted upon people. 
and you start to realize you can't please everyone all the time. It's kind of an amalgamation of lots of things. And I think that's why my 40s, I think, have been stressful at times running a business, but also the most content I've been. So I kind of, at this stage, I know who I am. I know my moral compass. Some people won't like me. Yeah. I lost you a little bit there. I think we got it. <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, so okay, and as a designer, you'll notice you notice sorry an unhealthy desire in a society that we have around consumption of traditional design, which is what inspired you to build your own company, Restore. And upcycling, and I know a few people myself, has become very popular. Do you think society is starting to notice and value the kind of handcrafted, unconventional design, and that the likes of Restore has, has had a part to play in that? Yeah, I'd love to think so. That'd be an honour to think that I've been part of a positive movement and have an effect on people. Um, definitely when I started, well, sort of 17 years ago now, upcycling wasn't even a phrase and people thought I was yeah. just a mad hippie. Uh, it wasn't like a thing. <laughs> so the fact that now there are books on it, there are TV shows on it is fantastic. I think there's always been a group of people in society in the 80s, you know, who were more aware than others about their responsibility to the environment. But now, you know, with electric vehicles, with solar panels, with LED technology improvements and with people upcycling, I think it's definitely a much stronger movement. And I, I'd love to think that I played even a small part in in getting that excitement. My, my objective was always to not be too... Um, to not be too hempy. So when I started out, if you wanted to be an environmentalist, you tied yourself to a tree, you grew dreadlocks, you had dirty fingernails, and you know it wasn't a you couldn't compromise. It's a bit all or nothing. You're an activist mm -hmm. or you're a consumer, and you couldn't be sensibly floating somewhere in the middle. So my ambition was always to set up a company that enable people to consume things and to own products because I like products. I like good design. Um, but to look at the supply chain, to consider the material choice and to look at products in a slightly different way. And I was coming out of car design, which is my background, where we were designing things that weren't recyclable, that were bigger, faster, shoutier, shinier. Um, and, and that was the thing that was driving me in the opposite direction. But definitely people are now, particularly with the pandemic, it's been fantastic for a lot of people. It's been terrible for a lot of people. But the positives I've seen, the river where I live, the water is crystal clear now because boats haven't been moving around. There's no litter being thrown in. Um, I do a litter pick on my paddleboard kind of once a week if possible. And there's almost nothing to collect now, which is great. Upcycling on its own won't probably change the world. You know, I've saved a few tons of scrap from landfill by turning junk into furniture. But I think it's the, the inspirational and maybe aspirational part of recycling. The actual recycling of plastic bottles and reducing single-use plastics, that's going to change the world. Um, and upcycling is, is the creative fun bit of that. But if that changes attitudes, then that's doing a valuable job as well. Yeah, and Resoil, your company, essentially takes everyday waste items and playfully upcycles them into kind of charming, functional piece of furniture. And your range, yeah, ranges from um, chairs made from shopping trolleys and desks produced from airplane wings. Is there a particular piece that you're most proud of? Uh, probably my house. So I live in a shipping container, a 40-foot shipping container that bobs <laughs> around on the river. 
And that was a huge challenge and probably in reality a step too far. And I think a lot of people <laughs> experience this when they're taking on a renovation of a house or something. That on paper, well, all you need to do is get a shipping container, insulate it, line it and move your, move your furniture in, you know, put a couple of radiators on the walls and you're away. The reality is a lot harder than that. I, I'm glad I bit off more than I can chew and, and stretched myself and went above and beyond my areas of expertise and had to learn new things. And I'm, I'm loving it now. And I think actually my houseboat is probably great for my mental health. Yeah. I'm quite a frantic person and I think you're self-employed. You kind of have to be, you have to be constantly pushing yourself, thinking outside the box. And my job is to now kind of invent new things and push the boundaries and think differently. So that is sometimes quite stressful, particularly when you're doing it on television. You know, sometimes live television, which is the most stressful thing. So when I get home, it's nice if I can kind of relax and slow down. And the marina is an environment where you have to because the heron that walks up the gangway in front of you doesn't move faster because you've got an appointment to get to. Um, the, the river flows at the same rate regardless of you. And you realise that nature is far more powerful than we can ever be. And yeah, I, I've started paddle boarding more during lockdown. I've been cooking more because um, again, living on your own, cooking for one's rubbish, but I have been taking the time out to do that. So lockdown for me has been quite a positive experience and living at the marina on my houseboat that I made out of a shipping container has also ultimately been good for my mental health, I think. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be in lockdown. And, and yeah, we sort of touched on it earlier. So yeah, would you, would you agree that our lack of connection with nature and perhaps addiction to our, say, mobile phones is what has a big impact on our mental health? Yeah, massively. I think I'm as bad as anyone about my mobile phone usage and I don't even realise which thing I'm using half the time. If I'm in an email or a DM or whatever, WhatsApp, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm on it far too much. But I'll tell you something I've done recently is turned off pretty much all notifications. So my my mm. volume is never on anyway. It's always on silent because often you, you start filming and people's phones go off and there's nothing more embarrassing. Um, but also, <laughs> so just turn off notifications. And if you want to see if someone's message, have a look at that app. If you want to see if you've got any likes and things, go into that. But on your terms, so when you want to do it, as opposed to your phone dictating to you and pinging at you. So that's something I've taken to recently. Maybe that's a sign of my age. Um, and also just trying to switch it off at times and to not use it after a certain time at night or um, not look at it first thing in the morning. I'd got into a really bad habit of waking up and the first thing I would do is look at my phone rather than get up, have a stretch, look out the window, make yourself a cup of coffee and then when you want to, go and have a look at your phone because chances are the world hasn't stopped turning and people don't even miss you. I went away uh, a few weeks ago I went camping and learned to surf and stuff, things I've never done before, which are very not me traditionally. But um, okay. and my phone wouldn't work in parts of South Wales where you get no signal. And you know what? It was all right. No one really cared, actually. I was quite, as a, if anything, I was a bit disappointed. No one even noticed <laughs> I've gone. But that's, that's so true. We don't need to post every five minutes. It's okay. And I'm doing it deliberately these days. Some days I'm not posting on social and that's all right. Like my, my viewing figures won't go down. People won't stop following me. If they like what I do, they're prepared to wait 24 hours to see the next thing. So, but managing our use of social media, I think is, is a huge thing these days. 
Yeah, and I've also done the same thing as you with the notifications, even though you say you're older. Because um, I think, you know, all generations sort of moan or advocate how amazing social media is. But I think it's just knowing what the pros and cons are. Yes, there's bullying. Yes, there's people who, you know, aren't actually their real identity, you know, idea, whatever, and all of that. But as long as you know that, and like you say, you manage how much you're involved in it and, and you're aware of the negatives, then that's all you can do because it also allows you to see family from abroad and just connect with people in different ways and see what everyone's up to so i think it's just having a balance between knowing what's negative and, and setting like you say notifications or I've, I've worked with you know what's it called like high execs and whatnot in companies and some of them ceos and whatnot don't reply to emails from seven because nothing's going to change that dramatically overnight so yeah. they'll draft the email but send it in the morning so you've got the job done but you're being respectful of each other's time so yeah and i think that's something that lockdown has has helped with is and also the the lack of facade i've loved that about lockdown that we've realized that oh you're just a human being just because you work for a big company or you do something fancy as a job you're still a human being who sits in front of their their wallpaper and their kid might run <laughs> in at any moment and ruin everything but it's all yeah. right. You can have a laugh about it. And we're all just trying our best to live a good life. So, And we don't need fancy offices with Barcelona chairs in the centre of London to prove that we're good. We don't need Ferraris and Range Rovers because even if you've got those things, you can still get COVID. You're still a vulnerable human who just needs shelter, fire and food. Like, you, you don't ever need any more than that. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So, so going back to, you mentioned the super van, and yeah, we're both local to Bedfordshire. So you upcycled, upcycled an old caravan and then you handed out soup and necessity items. How, how was that experience for you? And was there anything that took you by surprise at all? Um, it was brilliant. It was hard, um, <laughs> but all the best things I do are hard. So there's the uh, oh. kind of, you can't spread yourself too thin. You can't help everyone. I've realised that as well. My um. My dad was a big character in the community. He was like mayor of the town when I grew up and a councillor. And he tried to help everybody and did incredibly, as well as holding down a full-time job. And I have that in me. I know I have this, um, uh, I think you're aware, but I, have a, a, I see a councillor every now and again. And she yeah. identified as like Robin Hood syndrome. So I, I physically would go to Sherwood Forest every year as a child growing up and I was very much taught about the legend of Robin Hood and taking from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, and I like archery as well, and I have a tattoo of an arrow to remind me. But um, it, it can be hindering to have this Robin Hood syndrome. So uh, Charlotte, would I, she I, made me identify my little sub-personalities. And because I'm a visual person, she was very quick to pick up on this, that I can identify with it better because it's a visual. And I had to identify mm -hmm. all of my little sub-personalities. And the one who was causing havoc was Robin Hood because he'd come out <laughs> with his green lycra and his trumpet and run to the rescue of everybody, but without yeah. considering my own self and making sure that I was safe and secure and stable and happy. And only then can you help others. And, and I was very guilty of running around trying to save everybody, but not investing in myself and not giving myself time and energy um, to to get my own head straight. So um, I've only taken on two things re recently, and that was the super van, which I've since passed on the responsibility to somebody else. So I just didn't have the time. 
upcycle yeah. my mum and dad's old caravan which i used to holiday in and we took it around bedford <laughs> should have maybe asked the council's permission but uh we, we got it in the end and just fed people soup and said look we don't mind if you have fixed accommodation or if you don't here's some soup it's nutrients it's warm and you can come into the caravan and sit down and there's supplies there's hats there's gloves there's um toiletries help yourself to anything we're not a charity we're not preaching on behalf of anybody if you want to have a chat with us we're not trained but we're here to potentially help you and signpost you in the right direction so we did that for a few years and that was fantastic and it really it made me realize how privileged i am to to have the background i have because not a lot of people choose to just go and live you know, on the streets and potentially get an addiction. That's not mm. often a choice, a deliberate choice to kind of inflict upon themselves. Usually there's something yeah. that's taken them along that path and led to that, that moment. It's not always easy to get people back from where they are. I, I got frustrated with that. I'm a problem solver. So I thought mm. I could have answers for everybody and I didn't. And it was very slow and at times very frustrating and you set people maybe little tasks and they'd come back and they hadn't done them because other influences in their life. Um, and then the last two, three years I've been going to Africa with a, a couple of friends um, and we've been going out there and building schools, which was fantastic because it, it meant I could do my, my design and my engineering and my building. And I felt like I could problem solve easier out there. But then there's the emotional side of that and the, the relationships you build out there. And again, similar frustrations that you can't do enough for them. I can't solve the poverty in Africa on my own tomorrow. It's, it's a bit bigger than that. But I can maybe build friendships and I can maybe come back to the UK and educate people about how fortunate we are. The fact that we're born in this country, the fact that we have a roof over our head and food on the table means we're in the top 10% wealthy people in the world or something. It's mind blowing how, how lucky we truly are to have an education, to have mm -hmm. sewage. So yeah. here's something not a lot of people know, but on my houseboat, I have to wheel my sewage to a, a, an LSAM um, pump out station basically. And like I save it mm -hmm. for the weekend. It's a nice weekend job, but it's not a very nice job, <laughs> but it reminds me constantly how lucky we are to have that because in the places we go in the slums of Kenya, they don't have sewage, they don't have fresh running, running water. So when we're out there, it's more than just building, nailing timber together is the easiest part. Making shelters and shacks is, is, is my everyday bread and butter, but it's understanding proper poverty. And the biggest problem I have is when you come back, not lecturing everybody and go, you're lucky to have that. Stop drinking that fancy coffee, donate to Africa, you know, so you become a real martyr if you're not careful. So I go in May of every year and it's almost for me like a reset button. And it's the start of the summer when we're all a bit more flamboyant, when we're all a bit more whiny and diny and we treat ourselves to fancy dinners. And it's a little reminder before that summer starts for me. And it's, it's fantastic. And I'll go out there forever. We haven't been able to go this year. And I didn't realise how important it was to me and how much I missed it. Um, and, and they're obviously really struggling out there as well because a lot of the kids that we work with out there don't have access to food or drink without going to school. They go to school partly to get fed because they don't have kitchens in their homes. So um, that, that's been very hard and I've just had to keep in touch with them how I can, again, through social media. So one minute we're, we're suggesting social media has potentially got some negatives, but at the same time, I can using Facebook 
messenger get messages to some of the kids i support out there and see photos of them and you know do online video calling so that has been great and in fact it's my birthday tomorrow and my birthday last year i sent them all out some birthday cakes and i did a big video conference call last year when they're all in school and we did like a lesson together of 200 students enjoying birthday cake rather than me just guzzling and consuming stuff i don't particularly need so so yeah that's been a really good thing for my mental health it's also been challenging um understanding Mm. how different cultures have different things that are acceptable different behaviors and how you can't judge them on our cultural kind of morals um but it's it's helped me develop and grow i think and do you think yeah like i said we're in a pandemic and you posted on your blog a couple of years ago about homelessness again and particularly the kind of figures impacting men do you think that we need to have the frame of mind about it shouldn't be about our, the presence we buy, the presence of us being there? Because that should be more poor than anything. Completely. And um, that was one thing when we did the super van that I realised. I thought, oh, I've got soup. That's all they need. This will, this, will, this will solve homelessness. All you need is a warm mug of soup and you'll be fixed. It's nutrients and it's warm. But actually, the 90% of what you're doing is chatting to people and probably actually listening to people and saying, look, I'm here to listen if you want to have a chat. Uh, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not from, a lot of homeless people do assume that you're from a charity or a religious um, movement and they're a bit closed and they're rightfully nervous. They're vulnerable people who don't have a lot of energy to protect themselves necessarily, who don't have anywhere to escape to. So they, they do feel very vulnerable. And a lot of them also aren't particularly proud of sitting a lot of people call them beggars and most homeless people aren't beggars they're not there to beg that's the necessity of they kind of need a bit of warmth or shelter or something they don't want to be there they have egos still and that's another thing i've learned through seeing charlotte is that ego is a weird thing it's kind of good and but it also can make you an idiot and it can make you vulnerable but it's it's a healthy thing to have an ego and it's what gets you up in the morning and striving to be the best version of yourself. But homeless people do have an ego still. They do sometimes feel embarrassed about the position that they found themselves in through not necessarily fault of their own. So, um, yeah, I think the supervan was fantastic for them, but also for me. And it made me realize that actually talk to a homeless person, just sit on the floor next to them and have a chat with them and listen to them and don't try and problem solve all the time. That's the biggest fault i have i think is i i want to solve all of the problems because that's what i do as a day job you give me three planks of wood and some screws and i solve that and turn it into a shelving system sometimes just listen and don't maybe always come up with solutions for people because i think i do that too much and it becomes annoying yeah no that's interesting what you said about always fixing things and that correlation um, and do you think, because, yeah, often the kind of connection between our work environment and our mental health is being discussed. And, uh, yeah, I kind of read you completed several installations at the Google head offices mm. um, who are praised for looking after their staff. Do you think that does have an impact on our health and that you when know, we look at the workplace space that maybe we need to be a bit more creative and not just do the on-budget, easy, conventional way, put a mm. poster up and, and hope our staff are happy? <laughs> I, I think, to be honest, right, if you'd have asked me that 20 years ago, I'd have thought, what a load of nonsense. That's just arty-farty London loveys. It's like, get on with it kind of thing. And I would have. And that 
that doesn't I'm not proud of that but that would have been Mm -hmm. with with my upbringing uh, that would have been my solution and my opinions but I think yes absolutely there's like biophilic design introducing plants into the working environment and making it more beautiful and even like the whole working from home thing which I think we that's been sped up dramatically and we've got all of these apps now that enable us to do it more efficiently but it's okay to work from home and not wear a uniform it's okay to wear an open neck shirt and not a tie and we've relaxed everything a little bit and we've accepted that we're all just like i said earlier we're all just human beings working to generate some revenue to hopefully pay some tax to help those less fortunate to put food on the table and to lead a nice life and treat our friends to gifts occasionally and have a bit of a coffee or something. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think the working environment is, it, it's traditionally being very stale with polystyrene roof tiles and strobe lighting and stuff. But it is lovely when you work with the likes of, I've also worked with, so Google were great. They had like a room full of Lego where people could be creative, little breakout spaces um it's typically in london but i think that is spilling out in into the sticks and being in bedfordshire as you are as well it's bedfordshire has been a little bit neglected in in those terms i i find we're kind of in a little bit of a dip between london and hertfordshire and then the midlands and we're kind of somewhere in between and it feels a little bit slow on the uptake sometimes but looking at bedford now there are some wonderful places that are really nice environments and and nice office spaces where you can work do you know i've just recently moved workshop for the last time i'm never moving workshop again i keep doing it and it's so energy zapping (laughs) but where i am now i'm super happy and the first thing i moved in much to my friend's amusement was festoon lights (laughs) so it's a Mm. workshop full of saws and big equipment and stuff but the first thing i moved in were these festoon lights and i hung them up and i thought that is the ambience that is the atmosphere that is the the, the the space I'm trying to create because I spend a lot of my life there why would it be just a dirty horrible workshop that's just purely practical it can still be beautiful there's fresh cut flowers when when I remember to buy them there's a nice coffee machine I I sit down for lunch these days only the last few months but I make myself sit down for 10 minutes even if I'm on my own and yeah. just decompress just have a coffee have a salad try and eat healthy and just sit there and have a little think and I don't need to be go 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 which I used to be all the time and I think that was probably my dad was a post-war baby and it was make the most out of every minute and I still believe that but Mm -hmm. do that in a sensible way that you're not burning yourself in you know not running yourself into the ground and burning the candle at both ends and, and making yourself ill. Cause then you know, you store anyone anyway and you're operating at 50%. So you may as well save your energy and, and keep yourself on, you know, on the straight and narrow and on top of your game. Yeah. And you, you've touched on, yeah, you receive professional help as a, from a therapist. And I think it's funny how people are absolutely fine to accept that people invest in say a PT for their physical help. But when you mention anything else or even things like yoga, Uh, you know the term fluffy comes to mind people think that sort of thing's fluffy but have you found certain things have worked well or not so well for you whether it be yoga or therapy or whatever yeah so i the two things i do which i I would have traditionally called those fluffy subjects that they're not for boys (laughs) um i do pilates when i can again and i love that yeah and 
I, I try and do a class, but I'm a bit out of touch with that at the moment, obviously. Um, but mm. once you've learned some of those moves and breathing techniques and things, I now do them. Like when I jump in the shower now, I do a few little Pilates stretches um, just to keep, again, I'm getting a bit older and I do a physical job, lots of lifting and lugging and I'm not exactly big. Um, and then the other thing would be seeing somebody, a counsellor, um, and initially it was a quite an intense thing because I came out of a relationship and I was struggling to understand things. But then I continued seeing Charlotte because actually just uh, somebody to speak to openly and honestly without judgment was the main thing for me. Because whoever yeah. else you speak to, you're always holding things back. If it's your mum, you, you can't, you, I talk very openly with my mum, but maybe don't delve into some of the bits. I think, oh, she might judge me. She might not approve or, or if it's a partner, there are some things you might yeah. not be able to be completely open on this with. And if it's your mates who are lads, you might not want to delve too deep into some little bits and bobs. So to have somebody who doesn't judge you, who you can be completely open with and cry with, um, yeah. it is fantastic. And I, I'm quite an emotional person. I cry a lot and that doesn't bother me. In fact, I have been told on occasion that I can't do pieces to camera where they're too emotional because I just end up blubbing. My, my dream job is to be Nick Knowles basically and do DIY SOS. <laughs> but I often yeah. think I, I couldn't speak. So actually it's just as well. I'm not because that moment would just have me too much. Um, but seeing Charlotte is something I'll probably do forever. And I used to think of it as like, Oh, the Americans, they're the people that need shrinks. Not us Brits yeah. with stiff upper lip. We just get on with it. But there's no harm in talking to somebody openly and honestly. And if you're, I think, running a business, it really helps. If you're in the public eye, it really helps. Mm -hmm. But just for, stat, you know, just for mental health, just for general, oh, I'm struggling with this a little bit. Or, oh, I, I had this emotion the other day. So this morning I found out that a friend of mine had passed away. And... Right yeah I, I can process that but like today I've been on a real go slow I've been ever so flat but I realized that's okay today like don't beat mm. myself up about it I, I was running late for this partly because I just found it hard to be in top gear today but at lunchtime again I sat down and said it's okay today can be a third gear kind of day I still meet my commitments and what I wanted to do but I've not gone the extra mile because I've been constantly thinking about this guy in the back of my head and what his wife must be going through and his kids and and I've not beaten myself up about that so yeah I, I I recommend it to everybody and I have actually recommended my counselor to so many people and they've already benefited from it so uh yeah I would yeah. urge everybody to 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 release the stigma about it certainly not necessarily to go if you don't want to go don't yeah, but yeah. it's certainly not anything to be ashamed of these days. You get your car serviced, don't you? We wouldn't think twice about, you'd never run your car on old engine oil and not change the filter because it'd clag up and go slow and not run very well. But you, you wouldn't go and see somebody yourself. So go and see a life mechanic and a human mechanic. <laughs> like, they'll yeah. sort you out. And I think maybe I've got lucky in the fact that Charlotte and I are the right people for each other. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we click and right. she gets me here's another so the the little sub personality thing was very visual yeah. and something i really benefited from and the other day i drove past a man who'd broken down in his van and again robin hood went da, 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 and he came out <laughs> it, the lycra was on like i was going for it i was going to jump out the van and i was going to help him but then i noticed he had a bedford phone number on the side of his van he was a big lad it was daytime he was on the phone 
I thought, he's all right. Like, he doesn't need me. I'm actually doing something. I'm on my way to somewhere. Someone else had already stopped. He, he, he's, it wasn't like it was a little old lady who was being attacked. That is time for Robin. Rob, Robin needs to jump out then. But, and I was able to drive by, and it was hard, and my natural urge was to stop and get out and just interfere and be a nuisance, basically, is what I would have done. I wouldn't have been any help at all. But the other thing, apart from the, the little sub-personalities that I found really useful was the love languages that, um, that Charlotte's got me into. And I found that fascinating. That was like somebody had taken some blinkers off. And <laughs> you probably know about it, but I, I certainly yeah. did. And then it wasn't something... And is it, there's five, aren't there? There's five love languages. I think so. And you typically have two of them are really strong. And mm. if you're trying to show the other person in your relationship that you love them through minor um, acts of service is a big one for me. So I would, for example, I don't want to talk about my ex too much in case you ever listened to this, it'd be too personal, but I would show somebody I loved them by going, Hey, I've brought in the firewood and I've changed the tires on your car. Cause that's me right. looking after them. Cause they might skid <laughs> off the road. They might get cold. We're going to stay warm and safe and secure. But if that person yeah. doesn't have that love languages, that acts of service is a big thing in their life and they just want gifts, then we're talking, we're physically talking different languages. Of course, I don't understand. And once Charlotte made me realize that and visualize that, I went, oh, we are talking different languages. That's very difficult to navigate through that relationship. You have to understand that at least. And if not, try and learn their language a bit and understand they don't understand your language. Wow, this is suddenly a lot easier. Um, yeah. And that then wasn't just about a, a, a personal relationship. It was also then it went into my other relationships with friends and family. And I went, oh, I get it now. I need to yeah. be on their wavelength and speaking their love language. So there, I mean, there's probably millions of these little concepts within psychology that I will never even delve into. And I'm not claiming to be a psychologist by any means. But I now listen yeah. to podcasts that she's recommended and I listen to like Russell Brand's podcast. I really resonate with them. Um, Simon Sinek and a few other people's like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, it's not just that, that one hour counseling. It's also the things they recommend, the techniques, the breathing techniques. Who knew breathing was a thing? Like, when, <laughs> and that was actually, I was really I lucky this. that that was Katie Piper. Um, she's got the same agent as me uh -huh. and, and she taught me how to breathe. And you think, what? Uh, your body knows how to breathe but I was anxious like last year I had a, a few troublesome times I was taken to court over a certain situation and I was having I don't know if they were panic attacks or not really but certainly I felt real anxiety and pains in my chest and Katie phoned me up and said right I think it's breathing for four out for whatever it was your natural yeah. breathing rhythm do that deliberately to get your body back into its rhythm um, yeah, and who'd have thought you need to be taught to breathe? But that little techniques like that really help me if I do get a little bit anxious. And um, yeah, so I think I would advise that everybody has a very open mind about counselling, and we reduce that stigma that you know, remove the stigma that it's for people who are rocking in a chair in a jacket with no arms. It's not. It's for everybody and anybody. And I've 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 given people a session with Charlotte as a present. So, oh, I so love that. You don't have to go, like, but I've paid for you to have a session. If you want to go, go. That is brilliant. Go. Um, it's a little bit forceful, but it's a, <laughs> it makes some Yeah, questions. but I get, I get, knowing you, I get where that place has come from. Mm. Um, because, yeah, we, we obviously connected through Charlotte. I see Charlotte too. And when I first started to see her, it's been a little while now, um, people kind of say, how much is that? When do you think you'll be done? 
you yeah. know, just very negative, which is the worst thing because I feel like I've acknowledged something, I'm doing something about it, and all you have to say is how much does it cost and when are you going to be done? Yeah. You know, I could have been in a much worse place if I hadn't have done those steps. Um, and now, like you, I don't know when I'll be finished because for me now it's, it's still some other, you know, more intense stuff but as a whole it's more, I see it more of like a life coach in a way or a friend um you know sounding board um and, I, and what's kind of ironic is people in friends and family of mine as you, you touched on divorce and whatnot uh, a minute ago they're going through bigger things in life like you know trying to conceive a child or losing a child or divorce or changing workplace you know our, our generation do that a lot and I think people are starting to realize the need for things like therapy because as you get older shit happens and mm. again we're human uh, and, and I think they're starting to almost sort of in a, yeah, in a positive way acknowledge that oh Tiff is quite self-aware she has invested in herself and and that's okay and I, I should perhaps do that too and they sort of not admire me for it but they've acknowledged that I've, I've done that work and I think they're having to do it themselves because as well our generation I think we have this spreadsheet of we're going to buy a house get a job have a dog and everything's going to be happy and when things like Covid or divorce or anything comes on it's like oh it really hits you and, and that's okay like you say and, and every day can be different you know you touched on earlier about yeah losing a friend so I lost my dad when I was 14 and people think, oh, time's a healer. So, you know, he's gone now. So, you know, why, why is it affecting you now? And it's like, it's all those poignant moments, like, you know, your first car or your boyfriend or your wedding day. And just some days, you know, you see a kid walk with their father, it touches you or, or if your song comes on. Um, so I think people are starting to realise now that there's very much long-term effects of things. It's not sort of like that's done with now, tick the list. So, um yeah, I think it's definitely worth seeing someone. And I, and I agree about, I think people think that you lay down on a bed and yeah. that they, all of that. And the good thing about Charlotte is that what I loved about her is that her space is modern. It's, you know, it's nature and it's outside and all of that. So I much, bef I don't, everyone pictures it as like a dark, dingy building laying down. And yeah. that's far from the, she has plants, she has posters and all sorts. And it's brilliant. Yeah. And a puppy. And a puppy, yeah, yeah that puppy. every now and then pops his eyes in. That, that's therapy in itself, just cuddling a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know about you, but I found also once you've opened up and you've learned to look a bit more inwardly, that you kind of then my friends noticed a difference or sensed something, they then start opening up to me. And yeah. weirdly, I kind of laugh about it now but it's like I've become a bit of a sounding board and I've become a bit of a therapist so when a lot of my friends yeah. are now having problems they're attracted to me and they then ask me or they ask to spend time with me and my go-to is go out for a paddle so I go come round, we'll go out paddling and we'll have a chat and it's almost like because we're out paddling we're relaxed people feel they can open up a bit and it's just really nice so yeah bizarrely through me learning about myself I've become a bit of a sounding board for others which is it's an honor and a privilege sometimes and I used to make excuses for being busy and I would be busy but should you be too busy for a mate who says mate can I come around for coffee so I make sure I never am and actually a, a few times then invited people rounds that they've opened up and it's it's been a really important part of their life and they didn't necessarily tell me before they came round. so I'm, I'm you know really glad I gave them that time and then I was able to maybe help them a little way yeah I don't know about you but sometimes I see friends or family 
and sometimes you know their life is just going fairly well and that's that but sometimes I feel like people like you say in terms of opening up it's all small talk it's like how's the job great how's the girlfriend great how's this great and and that's it and I walk away and often they feel like it was a really fulfilling conversation but I'm thinking is that actually the truth and I didn't feel like there was a great fulfilling conversation out of it and then when they actually start to say oh the job's good but this frustrated me or the boyfriend's great but the other day this happened you know just because you've admitted that something was a bit difficult for you or frustrated you doesn't mean that I think your job or your relationship's falling apart and I just think yeah small talk for me I don't get much fulfillment out of that you know I enjoy your company when we can have a real conversation about something and yeah not just sort of go how are you yeah I'm good everything's great okay bye <laughs> yeah maybe it's kind of like the Facebook profile isn't it if you just look at everyone else you assume they're all hunky-dory and that your life is the worst but then you realise once you've chatted to these people that we're all posting the pretty pictures. We're not. I, I don't often post about me emptying my toilet on a Sunday. Like that, that's not what I show the world. <laughs> and I think that's just a prime example, isn't it? That I probably show a picture of a heron to divert the attention away from the fact I'm emptying my toilet. So, um, and I think people's perception of your life is is a weird thing. That if you worry mm. about how people think your life is then you're not living up to it. So for example, yeah, like Instagram's a, a really good example. We post these beautiful filtered pictures of a wonderful sunset, but actually in the other direction, there's mayhem and pandemonium. And I think that's something I struggle with a little bit with my career is that people imagine if you're on television or if you write books, you make millions of pounds and you, you really don't. Like it's a lot of hours for, I can earn just as much money like working on a building site, doing what I do as a tradesperson, as you do in television. I'm sure that there is a jump, you know, if you get to the, the dizzy heights of being a primetime um, presenter on the BBC. But writing books, there's not a lot of money in it. Um, TV, you work from seven in the morning till seven at night and it's quite stressful. You don't have a lunch break and you don't get your hourly rate is probably very average. Um, and it's mm-hmm. not what people imagine. And I, I'm kind of quite open about that. I try and tell people, don't look at my life and think it's all, it's all sweet and rosy. You know, I, I do have to work hard. I do stress. And yeah, I post a picture of me, oh, I'm at an airport flying off to do some filming. Yeah, I'm stuck on a plane for two hours, eating a soggy sandwich to go and do something <laughs> in the rain to come back the same day and don't go until midnight. So it looks, I think, not not assuming or yeah not judging everyone based on their pretty photography on their social media and just always being aware that probably behind the scenes it's not quite as filtered let's say and that everybody is having the same sort of struggles whether it's in relationships or whether it's with money we've all got a lot of shit going on (laughs) yeah and i get that a lot too like we we have a lot of family events we really make something of them and, and it's great but there's a lot of stress that comes with it or yeah you know like you say comedy or whatever it's like a two-hour drive to get there nobody sees all that um and you know that can be challenging or even like you know i'm very fortunate to have a niece and nephew and i adore seeing them but everyone thinks it's the cute pictures in the park they don't see the waking up at 4 a.m or you know they're in a mood they don't want to eat the lunch and it's like screaming the whole time and 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 that's you know that's just the, the matter of the fact but yeah that can be tough sometimes people often say to me oh it looks amazing i'm like it is amazing but there's another side (laughs) yeah we've just all got to be fully aware that that is going on with everybody nobody's life is completely rosy 
Um, and if, if it is, as my agent always tells me, she just says happiness comes in waves, which is a good thing when you're having a tough time because she says, look, good times are coming. Don't worry. But she's so blunt and honest that she also says when you're having a good time, remember the bad times are coming. <laughs> and it's kind of true. <laughs> so but, but yeah, maybe don't look at life always like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen next? What's the bad thing that's about to happen? Yeah, no, that's so true. It comes in threes, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then this podcast is about breaking taboos, and, and and I do think there I kind of sense there's like a divide in different generations. And I noticed when you addressed sustainability, you once said the best thing about being on TV is the letters I get from kids. Kids get it. The first thing I do when I speak to kids is to apologise for what our generation has done. There's not so much a question, but more of a thank you for kind of acknowledging, you know, your generation and the future generations. I think that's great. And I, I, I love kids. I think they're brilliant. I think they're blissfully unaware, but they're also the most intelligent people at times. <laughs> yeah. And then they're kind of the best designers as well because they're free from constraints. So I quite often go into schools and we do little design projects and say, hey, are you going to design a, a, like a recycled house? They don't think about foundations or subsidence or wind and snow falling on the roof. They don't care about the real world. So they are free from all of those constraints. They design the most incredible things um, that are so much more forward thinking than what we can come up with. If you, if you get a room full of adults and you say, right, design a chair, every one of them without fail will draw four legs, which for me is yeah. incorrect for a start. Um, <laughs> and then a seat fob, a back fob upholstery with they just do what they've been told is the correct way of doing it whereas a kid might go oh we'll hang it because it's more fun it's like a swing or it should have three legs like a tripod for a camera because that mathematically and scientifically can't rock and that's the best form of supporting something um so yeah working with kids is beautifully like you say they're so naive that is incredibly joyous and when it comes to the environmental thing of course we recycle of course we don't use plastic bottles um, for single use. Kids are on it, but we're the dinosaurs. We're the ones that didn't know any different. And we can't berate ourselves because of it. We can't kick ourselves too much because it was acceptable. And we did go a bit wonky in, in the middle back there, didn't we? We did have mid-century furniture in the 60s. And then we went, no, let's replace it all with chipboard covered in plastic that will last five minutes. And then we've realised, oh, actually, that's not good, is it? Because then that all goes to landfill. So, yeah, I don't even remember saying that. I do make some bold statements, but we do kind of owe an apology to the younger <laughs> like generation that. who get it, that we we lost our way. But we- Yeah, I just think, yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so I was just going to say, yeah, I just think often we sort of, like I said earlier about, you know, if your dad was still here, you'd probably have certain opinions. I think we've, we've all been raised in a certain way, and if we don't agree or we're not as aware of something it's necessarily a blame culture it's just the fact of that generation and and rather yeah sort of the blaming we should just sort of acknowledge it and kind of hope for the future that it's much better and kind of take small steps like you say you're not gonna solve Kenya tomorrow but if we all do our bit it's that sort of thing that helps isn't it yeah Um, absolutely yeah yeah I think that's something else when you spoke then you you said so many amazing things I could talk to you all day But um, I'll probably end it quite nicely there. So how I end the podcast is asking, when you eat a scone or scone, do you eat it the Devon way or the Cornish way? Oh, I don't know the difference. Please educate me. So Dev, I need to get this right because I don't do it the right way. So my surname's Cornish. Right. So, uh, yeah, the Devon way is cream than jam and the Cornish way is jam than cream. Oh, well... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know, but analytically kind of trying to work out what could be best. From a designer point of view. <laughs> yeah. In terms of stopping it crumbling, which would be my big concern. So when I, when I was a kid and I was brought up, I was taught two things primarily, well, probably more than that, but one was how to eat an ice cream so it doesn't all run right. around your hands and get messy and horrible. And the other one was that when yes. you dunk a biscuit, you then turn it end on, not flat, so it doesn't snap off. There's a, yeah. there's a bit more stru structural rigidity that way. And then as you bite it, you have to suck at the same time so crumbs don't drop. Um, my dad was military, so it's kind of all about keeping tidy and neat. And that's the way my workshop is now with my tools all laid out, regimented. So I think from a structural point of view, I'd probably want to put the cream on if it's clotted cream, because that will yeah. absorb in and stick nicely to the scone. And then the jam will stick to it nicely. So it's like an adhesive bed. <laughs> yeah you're, probably, you're the devon way like me well that looks prettier as well for instagram <laughs> Having <laughs> after everything we've said i'm thinking about the instagram photo now that the strawberries on top would glisten but you'd you'd compromise the visual yeah it, it's yeah. got to be the devon way i think yeah my cousin on the last episode so we don't share the same name which is my cousin um she said you wouldn't, you know, if it was toast, you wouldn't put jam and then butter. And that was my theory that yeah. I just thought, oh, creams like butter, put the, the jam on top. And yeah, that was, a, it's, it's so funny, people's reactions <laughs> <laughs> to what they say. And even they say, you say scone, you don't say scone. And it's like a big, you know, British thing, I suppose. It's yeah. quite, quite funny. Only the Brits could be having this conversation. Well, yeah, I know. It's always like the weather or what we're eating. We've got our priorities straight, haven't we? <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I could literally, there's so many things you were saying. I could speak to you all day. Maybe there'll be a part two or a volume two. <laughs> yeah, or come to the workshop. Let's do one in the workshop and you can have a guided tour. Oh, I did think that. It would be so good to actually meet you as well. Because yeah. it might be um, local. That, that was, yeah, sorry, that was, that was yeah. another thing actually that, that Charlotte pointed out, that um, coming back to where you originated is yeah. something that often happens in life right. that you go off exploring and when you're young you're fighty and it's like oh i want to see the world and i want all these experiences but then you realize everybody's got good bits and bad bits and actually coming back to where you're from to be surrounded by friends and family and loved ones isn't necessarily a bad thing it feels sometimes like you're restricting yourself but actually as long as you are open to those other experiences as well so i'm actually really proud and pleased to be back in bedfordshire and now my workshops between my house and my mum's house and it's actually rather lovely to be back where, I, where it all started. And during the pandemic, I went into my old school in Sandy and worked with the right, design teachers Sandy. that taught me how to design. And that was just brilliant. So, so yeah, being, being local again is actually quite a nice thing as well, which I fought for quite a long time. Well, I hope that's not the case for me because I'm from Luton. <laughs> I'm, I'm not now. But no, I'm joking. You're right. And do you know what? You know, I, I make that joke now, but people speak very badly of it. And I think actually everywhere has its good and bad, even New York or London. Um, and I think having, so I was there till I was 10, having been brought up there and then living, yeah, quite a nice village now, I do have that balance. And I've had a mother who's, you know, been through hell and back, but, she, you know, that's why I love to think about her. Um, and I've been able to experience the nicer side that both retired now and it's good to kind of like you say have a balance of both yeah definitely so, yeah wonderful well thank you very much for your time and yeah thank you very much given you know the kind of day you had I think it's great when people sort of show up even though they weren't quite energized for it um, and have a brilliant birthday tomorrow oh thank you very much 
I think you should post the sewage on your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I might stop my toilet for a walk tomorrow to celebrate. That would be, you'd be remembered. It would be a campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll hopefully see you and speak to you soon in the workshop. Lovely speaking to you. Okay, chat to you soon. All right, bye. Bye. We have sadly come to an end on this episode, which as I mentioned a few times, there's so much more I could chat away to Max about. I hope you found him to be as much of a genuine lovely guy as I did, who's been in part of some incredible work and yet comes across as a down-to-earth guy. I wondered when I would reveal on the podcast that I have and still do see a therapist. Sharing that we share the same therapist felt like the right time and a special moment. Charlotte's an absolute gem and I think that is showing the way we both speak about her. I hope therapy is one day less stigmatised and more accessible because it's certainly been a life-changing thing for me. Before I go, I'll be sharing details on a giveaway Max has kindly donated to us on our social media channels at Myself Included Podcast. Being the chance of winning a signed copy of Max's upcycling book, as well as a branded mug, send in your latest upcycling projects, Max will choose his favourite and the win will be announced. I can't wait to see what you've all been creating. Before I go, I will end with, the goal is to laugh forever with someone you take serious, unknown. <laughs>